Hey everybody, hope you're doing well. Just a few moments ago, I was blessed to have a conversation with Kevin Vincent, and it was a great talk. We got to talk about all of the amazing ways that God has and continues to use him and had used the church in Lower Abahaki to see souls saved and lives transformed. And I wanted to share this conversation with you. And I hope that as you listen to this conversation that you get a few kernels of wisdom, that you get inspired, that maybe you you hear something that, that tweaks something in your head that makes you go, I want to try that. Or, oh man, I, I pray that something like that can happen here. The reason why I'm having these conversations is so that we can talk about the great ways that God uses individuals like us, churches like ours, to do great and amazing things. It happens. Miracles happen. Souls are saved. Lives are transformed. So I pray that as you listen to this conversation, that it would speak to you and that new information would come to you, new ideas would come to you, and that you would leave after watching this video spiritually on fire and ready to serve the Lord in your local context. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you once again there, Kevin, for joining with me for a virtual conversation. I, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm quite excited to have this, this, this talk with you. I've been wanting to for, for quite some time and uh, just to kind of share what God has done and ha and is continually doing in, in your ministry, in your life. So um, I've shared with you a few questions uh, back and forth through email, but I uh, would love for you just to kind of tell me this, tell me the story of, of you and, and your experiences with the church and how God had used you, particularly uh, in, in Abahaki. Yeah, well, I'll give you a sort of, I mean, that could be an eight hour call, but uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you sort of a bit of a thumbnail, at least uh, at the, to start, and then we can sort of dig deeper into some other areas. Maybe I, yeah. I finished up with I served I served we we replanted the church, planted the church back in 1996, and I served there full time until 2015. Then kind of went part time for a year, and now for the since 2016, I've been full time with our denomination, with the CBAC, just sort of looking after some new congregation stuff and trying to dream about what the, the new reality in this new day is going to look like as it relates to, you know, what does church planning look like or all of that stuff. So that's my mm -hmm. world now. But back in 1996, uh, we left, Sandra and I, and uh, Emily and Jeremy, and then Josh came along about a year later. Uh, we left Dartmouth. I, we were youth pastors at First Baptist in Dartmouth. And, um, and so we packed up and came back to Appahawk. Appahawk was my, the home, the, the, the little village that I grew up in. We moved here when I was 12 and uh, from St. John. And so we, we had a sense, I guess, that um, I'd been at First Baptist and Youth Ministry for about nine years, full-time, part-time, uh, nine years, uh, six and a half or seven full-time, and then sometimes as a student. We had a sense that God was doing something different, I guess, and, and just prompting us to to, to, to look at something else, had a number of opportunities that I was considering. Um, and, uh, and I was in our denominational office one day, Harry Gardner was our executive minister at that time. And um, actually he might've been in the church planting role at that time and then became the executive minister. But we, he was, I was in a meeting with Harry and we came out of the meeting, we were, Harry and I were just chatting. And, um, mm -hmm. and he said, well, they, they, you know, they, they tell me they're, your dad tells me they're trying to restart or replant or plant the work in Appahawk again, the little church there. And I said, yeah, dad kind of keeps me in the loop a little bit and kind of what's happening. I know they pulled a committee together and they're kind of wondering what they should, what they should do. And, and uh, so, yeah, he's sort of been telling, and so Harry, you know, uh, we chatted a little bit more and Harry and in, in only the way that Harry could ever say it to me basically said, uh, Kevin, he said, um, have you ever thought that you should be the one to come back and, and replant that church? And I said, uh, not once. Nope, not once. Never thought of it once. It's not me. It's not for me, Harry. And Harry, in the way that only Harry could say it, said, well, Kevin, I, I do think you should pray about that. <laughs> and right. I said, sure. 
So probably less than a year later, we packed up a U-Haul and moved back to Appahawk and, uh, and started the work of replanting this tiny little church. So to give context for anybody that may be watching this thing, um, the little Appahawk church started in 1873. It was on a field eventually of about six different churches, you know, that circuit riding preacher that would go around from Appahawk oh, yes, to yeah. Millstream to Lower Millstream to Kirsten Mountain to Berwick to, you know, and there was six churches. And a number of years ago, for whatever reason, I don't even know the history of it, the, the, the Apoc Church decided to go on their own and, uh, and did their own thing. Tiny little church, but they kind of went on their own. Probably there was some, you know, disgruntled something going on. I don't know. But they went on their own. Um, and they became sort of a, a, a little church that was looked after by a church about 15 minutes down the road, sort of became the mother church. And sort of, you know, as they used to, as my grandfather used to say, they, you know, we would do a service for them. They were just kind of a preaching station, really. And, uh, and it really sort of grown its way down to probably, you know, six or eight people. And the pastor of the church that was looking after them had said, you know, I can, I can drive up to Appahawk on a Sunday morning and put all you in my minivan and take you down to church in Bloomfield. Like, we need to really think about what's going to happen. So anyway, long story longer, they, they decided that, the Apoc people decided that they really wanted to see something happen in Appahawk. They didn't want to close the doors. They pulled a committee together. My dad was on it. Some others were on it. Harry Gardner was on it. And they started this process. And so um, in the fall of 1996, like I said, we, 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 we made the trek from Dartmouth, Metro Halifax, back home to Appahawk. Appahawk, for context, is about, I don't know, probably 300 people. Uh, it's a tiny little community. Appahawk means where two rivers meet. Uh, there's the mill stream in the kind of a cases. It's a tiny community. It's got a post office and a store and, you know, uh, what I used to call Appahawk University. Uh, there was a, a truck driving school here. And, um, and so that's basically, that's basically all that it is. And so we came back uh, and, and started the work of replanting this church. We really didn't have any idea what we were doing. I was a youth pastor. I wasn't a church planter. Um, but, but we just sort of started the work. We, we started in September 22nd, 1996, and moved into the little elementary school. Uh, the school district didn't even realize what they were doing, but they'd appointed a new principal in August, and Peter Kopitz was the new principal, and he was a committed, deeply committed Christian, and so uh, he was more than excited to have us move into the school and begin to plant the church there, and so uh, that was the fall of 1996, and God just really did some some really neat things over about 20 years of leadership there. Uh, the church started to grow. Uh, by 2000, we entered into a capital campaign, built a facility uh, on a piece of, we call it the church in the hayfield. We bought a hayfield and, and uh, built, a, built a new facility there. Um, we focused highly on kids and probably another three or four years later had sort of outgrown that facility and we built a children's center. A few years later after that, we started a second campus about 25 minutes down the road in Hampton. So it was just a, a neat story of God's blessing and really realizing that God had, was at work here before we ever showed up. And then we started to do some of the things as we sort of listened for what the spirit was up to in the neighborhood, in the community, started sort of doing, joining God with, with what he was already doing. And, and uh, God started to haul some people together, some great leaders together. And we were thrilled to be a part of that team and see God do some really neat things over, over 20 years of leadership here. So that's the thumbnail sketch kind of of, what's, of what took place. So. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, no. And I mean, you mentioned that, that Abahaki was about a, you know, a town of about 300 people. But I just mm -hmm. I have a statistic here in the upper corner of my screen that uh, about well, I mean, this is pre-COVID, but uh, I mean, the congregation was about 550 to 650 between Hampton and Abahaki. So, I mean, it really uh, exploded with growth. Uh, as you mentioned, yeah. God was already at work doing something and you just had to, you know, let your ears, to, you know, lead you as to what, what God was asking of you. <gasps> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so cool. I mean, you know, it really did. It went from, I call them the original six, you know, because I'm a hockey mm. player. So I call them the original six and we had the original six people. And, and God multiplied the, the original six into 600. And, and it was really in, in a couple of different sites. And it really was like, you know, um, God was at work. I mean, I could tell you story after story. I would, I would have a new family show up. And so I, 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 you know, Monday or Tuesday, I'd give them a call. Can I drop in and see it? I'd drop in and see it. And I'd sit at their kitchen table. I think of ta talking with Todd and Lori at their kitchen table and, and said, like, why did you guys come? Like you showed up on Sunday. And how did you hear about us? Why did you come? Why'd you show up? And I remember Todd saying, well, turn around. I turned around. I said, what? He said, well, don't you see that, that piece of paper on the fridge? I said, yeah. He said, well, didn't you send that out in the mail? 
and didn't you ask us to come? And I said, well, yeah, I guess I did. And, and he said, well, that's why we came. You know, we, we have a couple of young children and our two girls, you know, we have a deep sense. We, we haven't been connected to church and we have a sense that God is just sort of prompting us to kind of reconnect. And, you know, your flyer, you know, showed up in the mail. Now, now that wasn't, that wasn't anything smart on my part. That was just us listening. And God was already working. Like he was already doing all of that. And we just cultivated the soil and provided the environment for, for people to begin to come and experience what God was already up to and to begin to take them the next steps. Eh? That's what's cool. And, and that's the key, right? God's already working in our community. It's just discovering how we as his workers can, like you said, cultivate the soil. And, you know, if it's sending a flyer, do something else. But I don't think there's been a church out there that probably hasn't had that conversation when somebody new comes into a church that's thinking like, what did, what did we do right this time to get this person? But uh, at least in my church, I've had those moments where we're doing what we can to bring people in, but then we're almost surprised when they show up. And I mean, what God, God does amazing things. So we need to be ready for when these, these efforts, these outreaches uh, produce some results because God's, God's going to use them. And uh, that's a wonderful example of it. So how how did the church, like in those early days, how did you discover this, this new direction? Like you said, it's been around for well over a hundred years before you, you came in into the role as a, as the minister, like, how did you, as this group, the original six, kind of come to a vision and, and, and have a new direction? You, you mentioned you just listened, but is there anything yeah, else? Well, yeah, of... no, I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's, it is listening, but it's, 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 it's both and it's listening and being active and trying to mm -hmm. discern what God's doing. So, I mean, I, I would say, you know, we moved back, little community back home. In fact, I moved back into the home that I grew up in. <laughs> We moved here in 1977. My parents built a new home. We bought the home that I grew up in and moved. So I really came back home. Um, and, and I think, you know, like I said, we were youth pastors. So, I mean, I, I knew how to do that. Um, I wasn't a church planner. Never had, I never had one course in church planning. Um, but my, I know Sandra and I just sort of thought, well, what should we do? We know we booked a school. What should we do? Well, why don't we ask the people? Like, why don't we try to figure out what are some of the needs in our area and how can we begin to address some of those needs? I mean, that seems kind of like a no brainer. So in fact, the summer before we showed up, like we moved back the end of August in July and August, we, we in fact hired a summer student. Her name was Jennifer. And Jennifer was, um, she was a 10 plus relationally. Like she was just so good. And what we said to Jennifer is we just want you to survey the community uh, for two reasons. Number one, just to begin to find out what are some of the needs in the community. And number two, it'll begin to give a chance for us to sort of create some awareness that something is happening too. And so we sent Jennifer out uh, with this very simple survey. And, uh, and the questions were basically, do you go to church? Uh, if, if yes, oh, God bless you. Take, you know, tell me about that. Where do you go? And tell me about your experience. If no, you know what? How come? Like irrelevant bad experience, um, you know, just see no need for it. Like, you know, why would you, like, why is church not a part of your life? Just help me just understand that. Um, and then number three would be, what are the needs in this community? As you look around, what, what are the gaps? What are the places where, you know, the community just has some gaps that, that need to be met? And then number four was very simply, if there was a church, that was really committed to meeting some of those neighborhood community needs. Would you ever consider showing up at a place like that? <laughs> very simple. So Jennifer did that. Um, she, she, she understood very, very, very quickly that people in, I think the Maritimes probably, maybe everywhere, but certainly the Maritimes, if you show up with a clipboard and knock on their door, they don't want to talk to you because they go, what are you writing? What are you writing? Just what thinking are you writing? That. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, they hate that. People hate that. So Jennifer was so good. She would knock on the door. She'd leave her clipboard in the car. And then she'd just have a conversation. She'd go back and write some things down later. Uh, but she was so good. They were inviting her in for cookies and tea, and, you know, and she was meeting everybody. So there were a number of things that we uncovered in that survey over the two months that she knocked on doors. But the biggest thing that we heard was this. There's nothing in this community or surrounding area for kids. 
nothing for kids. There's no programs, there's no nothing. Uh, you know, we just wish there was some organization here that would be more committed to the family, committed to children, committed to programs, whatever it is. And, and that's, what, that's the big thing that we discovered. So we said, well, you know, we're a young couple. We've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old, uh, another one on the way. So we're all about young kids. So we know how to do that. So we're just going to be the church for kids. That's what we said. We're going to be the church for kids. And, uh, and, you know, we didn't, you know, there was nothing real sexy about our mission or vision. We didn't have it all out in bullet points. We just said, what, if someone said, what's your mission? It was, we call it, we said it was focused on the family centered on Christ. That was it. We're just going to be focused on the family. That's it. We're just going to center on kids. We're going to create a, a Sunday morning experience. It's going to be kid friendly. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to engage children and families. We're going to do things in the community. We're going to start a kids program in the school. And then every place that we can in the community where we can engage children and serve kids, that's what we're going to do. We want people to think, oh, that church, that Appahawk church, that's the church for kids. That's what we want them to think. And so that's what we did. We, you know, instead of, you know, the, lots of churches do this now, but back 25 years ago, it wasn't as common. Uh, rather than running sort of a, a uh, consecutive Sunday morning programs. We just ran it concurrently. You know, we had, everything was in a 75 minute package, you know, because at that point, often churches would say, show up at nine and we'll let you out by 1230. And we said for unchurched people, they're not going to give three and a half hours on a Sunday morning. They're not giving anything. So if we could get them to commit to 60 or 75 minutes, that's a big win. Yes. And so we, 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 we devised a, a, a 75 minute program where parents could come and uh, we had something for their kids, and and uh, and then we hoped that they would start to stay around. And we started a, what was a pioneer club years ago, and uh, and and then we would have events where we give out their badges, or we do a pioneer club Sunday, and we tried to create some bridge events where if parents weren't coming, they the kids would say, "We got to go to this church on Sunday because I'm going to get my badges on Sunday." And we started creating all kinds of bridge events. So um, we just started being the church for kids. We created an informal Sunday morning. You know, we'd say if your kid, if your child cries, don't worry about that. You know, Jesus loves kids and we love yours. And, and so we're, we're all about that. And we created a Sunday morning that was a, all about being very family focused and family friendly. We created a, a Monday uh, evening right in the school uh, children's program. And so kids could finish school at 2.30. They could go into our program at 2.30. Parents loved it because they, uh, uh, if they were still working, you know, we were looking after the kids right after school. Um, and then we started doing a lot of uh, community events. So Appahawk has a big Canada Day celebration. I mean, they go all out. And we said, can we, can we run your children's programs for Canada Day? They said, that'd be awesome. You know, we had the balloon fiesta here in the, in the Sussex area where all the hot air balloons come in, in mm -hmm. September, not, you know, September. And we said, how about we run a, a big uh, children's event for you during the balloon fiesta? They said, that'd be awesome. And so we started engaging in the community, doing all kinds of children's events in the community. And, um, and then running a children's program and making our Sunday kid, you know, child friendly. And, and, and for the first five years, that's all we did. We just wanted to be known as the church for kids. So that's how we really, you know, uncovered our vision. You know, mm -hmm. it was very simple. Now, the original six, you know, it, it was starting to grow by then. The original six were all in their 70s or 80s, right? So they were, yeah. they were, all, they were all older. Um, and, and, and what's interesting to me is um, a lot of what we did, they didn't like. They didn't like, that, they didn't like that they were in a gym. We left a little 40 by 60 foot white country church to go to a school. They didn't like the fact that we were in a gym. The, the, they didn't like the fact that the chairs were plastic and uncomfortable. Uh, they didn't like the fact that the music was fresh and new and contemporary. They didn't like the fact that the minister didn't wear a tie. They didn't like any of that. But, but what they did like, because I'm in Mrs. Holmes, Mildred Holmes, she was 96. She'd walk mm -hmm. out on her two canes every Sunday morning and she'd shake my hand at the door. And she'd, she, she hated most of it, but she'd say to me, I just love seeing all the children here. I love seeing all the children here. And so they were willing to, to embrace and accept and even cheerlead that which they didn't like mm -hmm. themselves personally, because they saw some kingdom benefit and some kingdom results. And they saw children that they hadn't seen in their church for years and years and years and years. And so, um, so they bought into the vision, you know, they bought into the vision.
Well, that's good. Because that was one of the questions I always had. I've heard you tell that story before. And I'm thinking you had this original six, you know, that are on the older side in, in age. And I'm like, but how did you get the buy in there? Because and, and like, did you take it all on yourself when you started with saying we're going to be children's or did the, or did like some of the original six or other people as it was growing say like, hey, I'm in with this. I want to help out with the after school event right. or I want right. to I want to be on the worship team. Like I know we've got some churches that their worship team really talented people, but they they know what they know and that's what they're skilled in. So to introduce a more contemporary or newer music is it's fearful to them. They right, right. I mean we fear the unknown. So right. Yeah we 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 um um you know we had the original six that were sort of the core. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we we launched we we you know we worked hard to probably build that original six to you know 18 or 24 people you know mm-hmm. so we'd 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 uh, you know, my, my parents were around and they committed to come and they had a couple of sets of friends that committed to come. And then there were some others that friends that I because I grew up in the area, mm-hmm. some other friends that I had that I recruited and said, hey, would you come? And, you know, and we talked to I talked to a couple other pastors in the area and, and it said, listen, we're, we're starting this thing up. Um, and, you know, uh, if you know, if, if you could release a, you know, a family or two or a couple people to us for a couple of years you know, to help us get started, we would appreciate that, um, you know, because there, for example, we had some, some Christian folk, you know, families that lived in the Apoc area, but they went to Sussex or somewhere else to church, but they committed to come to help start the Apoc church, and they left their church for, for a period of time. In the end, they, in fact, stayed, um, mm-hmm. but, 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 we, but we worked hard initially to begin to build a bit of a leadership core. I mean, obviously, when you're church planning, Sandra and I, you know, we were, we were all in and went all out and it was tiring those first five years, especially, but my parents dig, dug in and, uh, and we had another, you know, we had probably a dozen people that really were willing to jump on board and really begin to dig in and help run the pioneer club and help run our Sunday morning, you know, um, uh, kids programs and, and all that stuff. So, so yeah, so we, so the original six were more cheerleaders and prayer warriors Okay. Because for the most part, they were past the day of, of, uh, of running a children's program, you know, but, but they were, they were supportive. I remember, I remember, um, Andrew, the, the first meeting I had with them, I, I came back and, um, and we met in the little Apoc church, 40 by 60 church. It was probably in January before the year, January before we came and, and we sat in this little church uh, the, 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 the oil furnace would kick in and you could hardly hear anything when the oil furnace kicked in. And we had this little meeting. It was the search committee and they were interviewing me to see if they thought I might be a good guy to come. And, and I remember George Parley, George would have been in his eighties, mid to late eighties at that point. And I'd known George for a long, long, long time. And we're walking out, we're walking out that, what I call that, that, that red Baptist carpet walking out the, uh, down the center aisle of this little Baptist church. And George looked at me and he said, Kevin, he said, this thing will go well as long as we just all stay positive, he said. And, and you know, and I, I'll never forget that. And George never spoke a negative word. Mm. Um, and Gladys never spoke a negative word. And Jean never spoke a negative word. And Mildred might have had a couple of them, but she still cheerled it. And, 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 and they were... And so I called those original six the heroes of the story, really, because they could have shut it down, right? They are the influencers. This was their church, right? Mm-hmm. I was coming in. Other people were coming in. They had the voices of influence, and they could have shut it down because they didn't like much of it. Like, it was all new. It was contemporary and fresh and new and different. They would have been very happy just to have this minister come back, put on his tie, and, and use their old hymn books in the little 40 by 60 church and sort of last person turned the lights out. They would have been they would have been fine with that, but they did have a bit of a bigger vision, and they were willing to 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 cheerlead something and to to renounce their own preferences. Let's 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 go to the Apostle Paul. <laughs> they were willing to, to to renounce their own preferences for the sake of the kingdom. Right? Paul says, "I'll do all things. Doesn't matter what it is. What whatever it is, I'll do. I'll to, to reach the Greeks. I'll become like a Greek. To reach the Jews, I'll become like a Jew. It may not even be what I like, but I will become all things to all men for the sake of Christ, that I might win some." And that was their posture. We will we will do whatever it takes. We'll let this young 
30-year-old pastor do whatever he wants to do, as long as he's being faithful to Jesus, and we'll cheerlead that. And so they really were the heroes of the story, you know? And that's what I say to a lot of little churches, you know, and a lot of older um, a lot of older folks that maybe may, might not be certain about, you know, some of the things that a young leader is doing. I just say, just cheerlead them, just cheerlead them, just, just have their back. And, and because you are a voice of influence here and, and, um, and, and you could be the hero of this story. You don't need to jump in and lead the children's program, but you could be the hero by being that voice of influence that cheerleads what God could possibly do in your community. So yeah. Amen. That's awesome. And like you'd mentioned, you, 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 you got some help from other churches asking, you know, can you, can you release a family or, or, you know, loan a couple or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's just, it really shows the value of we're not seeking to be church builders, but we are, we're coworkers in, in building the kingdom of God. So, I mean, sharing the resources and blessings that we have. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that yeah. you're able to do that. Uh, especially with, you know, you had the group that wants to cheerlead, but, you know, maybe didn't feel their gifting or, or their ability to be a part of children's ministry or, or to be on the worship team. They support it. Uh, and then churches around you support it. So we need to be there for, for one another. And I mean, yeah. you talked a few, a little bit about how, you know, how some people were dealing with the change. Uh, you said it's like five years. Was that kind of the, was it a gradual shift or was it, you came in and you, boots on the ground we're we're contemporary now we're going into the schools or was it or was it a little bit more of a gradual i'm going to um, ease these this this church family into it yeah yeah no it would have been both and i think really okay. I think it's both and I, I mean i do think there was a huge a huge initial shift in fact before i came i said you know i don't want to be the bad guy that comes in and says we're not going to meet in your little church anymore so why mm. don't you guys decide that before i even come you know I mean, it was a little 40 by 60 rural maritime church, didn't have running water, didn't have a bathroom, didn't have like, it was just, if we we're going to be a family church committed to kids, it, it was an impossible facility to use. So I said, why don't you guys make that decision before I show up? So I don't have to be the bad guy saying, we're not going to meet in your little church. And so they did that. There was no issue whatsoever. So, I mean, originally, um, Andrew, I mean, there was a big shift. We moved into a school right? We moved into a school. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's a big change for an 85 year old that's grown up in a little Appahawk church that started in 1873. Um, you know, we started with a, we started with a worship team, you know, now did we, did we still, you know, this is 25 years ago, you know, did we still use some hymns and try to contemporize them a little bit and whatever, add some drums to them or, or whatever. Um, yeah, we did that. So did the music, you know, was it gradual? Um, not too much, but maybe a little bit. We tried to honor certainly okay. those that, you know, by different styles. I think worship wars are less the issue now that they were probably 25 years ago anyway. I'm not sure that those are the big battles that we're fighting quite so much as much, but we, so, so the worship, you know, the, the casual dress, you know, that was pretty new to some, um, but, but it was important that we did that because we're trying to be a church that just really loves kids and loves family and, we want everybody to feel welcome and we want the, we want the environment to feel somewhat informal. So initially, I would say that, that there were some big changes. We, we knew the, and here's where, it, I guess, here's where it comes to Andrew. Here's the key. Here's the key. Here's the key. I'm leading um, in. What's the vision? So when a church determines what's the vision, when a church wherever, church A is in a community, in a neighborhood, and they do a survey, for example, and they say, ah, that's who we need to be. That's who we need to be. We need to be that. Then, then you need to create the culture that will help to reach the people that God is calling you to reach. So we said, we need to be the church for kids. Well, if we're going to be the church for kids, what does an environment look like? What does a church culture look like that will be attractive to young families and children and parents? So you create the culture and because I'll go into lots of churches and I'll say, what are your priorities? Well, priorities. Well, we're a church for kids. We love kids. We value kids. And I say, oh, okay, that's cool. Take me to your nursery. Show me your nursery. And so they take me through the hallway. They take me down another hallway. They go down some back stairs. We go down the back stairs. We go into a musty basement. We go down another hallway into a dingy back room. They open up the door. I can't hardly breathe because my asthma kicks in. And, 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 I, and I go into this little room and they say, see, here's our nursery. We value kids. And I say, really? 
I couldn't find this thing without an elder leading me through your church to get to it. And so, so it's a critical, it's critical who God is calling, who's God calling us to reach. And once we determine that, what is the type of culture in our church that we need to, to nurture and to cultivate and to build so that our culture, in fact, reflects the values of who we say we are. That's mm-hmm. where, that's, that's the, that's the choice of pain that we have to make. Yes. So churches I mean, will say, right. That's the, that's the pain. That's the pain. Cause we'll say, ah, we want to do that. We want to reach that. We want to, we want to be the church for those people, but don't change the music, but don't, don't take off your tie back in 96. It's but still there for some churches. Yeah. And it still is for some churches, right? Yeah. But if we're saying, no, 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 here's who God is calling us to be. Here's who God is calling us to reach. How do we shape that culture? Like I've talked to a number of churches that have, that have sort of merged and they've even built new, new facilities. And they say, okay, now we want people to come in because we got a new facility. And I'll say to them, don't do that. Don't, don't advertise yet. Don't do a grand opening Sunday yet. What you need to do is now that you have this great new facility, you need to identify who are we trying to reach and you need to shape your culture for when those people show up. Because if they show up and it's a new facility and then, but it's all the same old, they'll show up. Like, you know, it will, something new will attract them, but it won't keep them. They'll walk in and they'll just walk away again because mm-hmm. the culture doesn't match what you're saying, you, who you're saying you are. Right. So if we yes. were going to be a church for kids, we had to reflect the fact that we were a church for kids. It's so one thing to say it, another to be it. Oh, yeah. you, you can't do some of that incrementally. Right. Mm-hmm. You got to say, here's who we are. Here's why we're doing it. Mrs. Holmes, I know you're going to hate some of this, but 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 I know you, you kind of like me. And can you can you cut me a little bit of slack here? Because I think this is what God's calling us to do. Right. Yeah. So I think you've got to tie who you're going to be, who God's calling you to be. To, to, you got to tie it to the vision and then you got to create the culture to reflect who God's calling you to be. Yeah. And, and I've heard it from others that say, you know, it's easier to create a new culture than it is to shift a culture. And I mean, a lot of churches were in that crossroads about understanding what our culture is, if it's still what God's will is and the mission that we have as a church, or do we need to shift cultures? And one of the things I've experienced is the culture outside of the church that you do in outreach ministries also needs to be the same culture that you have inside. I've heard time and time again that uh, churches will do great VBSs or, or they'll go out and do this, this big event and people will come, you know, on Sunday only to kind of be hit in the face with, whoa, this, it's not like this, like who they were outside in their VBS is not your typical Sunday morning at that such and such a church. So I think we also have to, yeah, watch, our culture not just inward but also outward and then it matches because and, I've, and I've seen yeah, so many people and you've had one, yeah exactly you're exactly right Andrew and you've had one chance and you just blew your chance right there mm-hmm. you just blew it you know we you know so you know so we would we would do a at the balloon fiesta we would do a children's program and then Sunday morning we would do an outdoor family festival in the park right mm-hmm. outdoor no no service at our church it would be an outdoor big family festival and we'd invite people to come but when we invited people to come, if some of them came the next week, we don't want them to walk into a place and go, well, this isn't what I experienced before. Exactly. Like, I, I thought you were, but you're this. No, we just sold them a bill of, you know, mm-hmm. we just sold them a bill of goods that wasn't the truth. And so mm-hmm. um, it's, it's and, and I know oftentimes youth, minister, youth pastors would struggle with that because they've got this great youth ministry going on and they're trying to, 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 to bridge the gap and, and bridge kids coming into Sunday and get some of those kids coming into Sunday. But, 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 but the culture on Sunday was so drastically different from, from the church that the kids knew or that the parents thought that they knew that they would come on Sunday and go like, this is a completely different church than I thought. It's not the right? same. Yeah. Right. Right. So you're, you, you, those things have to match. The culture has to match the vision of who you're trying to, to, to sort of reach out to. Mm-hmm. yeah so do you have anybody as this culture was changing i mean i know you had a smaller group but i mean lots of people went with it like you said the, the original six were your, your kind of your heroes your warriors did anybody kind of leave or, or kind of threaten to withhold tithes anything like that yeah. happened to you yeah we didn't we didn't have that you know we, okay. we really didn't i mean i, I only i mean getting buy-in i only had the original six so i could visit exactly. them all in two afternoons right i could visit them all in two afternoons and, and I visited them a lot 
because for them, that's what a pastor did, right? He preached and he visited. You know, my grandfather, you know, I remember Dr. Uh, Pastor Buckingham in Moncton. Uh, you know, he, he, when, when he first went to Moncton, he sat down with my grandfather, who was a pastor. Uh, pastor B loves to tell me this story. And uh, um, he sat down with my grandfather and he said, Dr. Vincent, how do you build a great church? And my grandfather said to him, preach and call, preach and call, preach and call. Let's preach and visit, preach and visit, preach and visit. Now it's a different day now, but those values still need to be high values. And, and, and we may call it a little different than visiting, although I think we still need to make sure that some of that is happening. Um, but, but there's different ways to connect today. But, um, but those original six, I visited them probably every couple of weeks because I could. And so I developed a deep relationship with them. They respected me and I could get away with a lot of stuff that they didn't like because we had a great relationship. And they would say, Mildred would say, I don't like that, Kevin, but I kind of like you. So I'm going to put up with it, right? And so buy-in often for me, buy-in happens most effectively or best through uh, relationships, conversations, do it over coffee, do it over biscuits, do it whatever you need to, but do it however you need to. But, but buy-in is, is sharing who you are, sharing your heart, sharing the vision, answering the, the concerns, um, having them at least respect you and trust you, even if they, you know, even if they may not like it or it's not their preference, helping them to say, you know, I'm willing to sort of renounce my own preference because even though I don't like it, I sort of can see the kingdom benefit. And, and mm -hmm. so I'm going to go with it, even though it's not really my preference. So um, it, it's easier with six than it is with 60. Um, but, but a lot of it is relational buy-in and, 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 and continually sharing the vision of who God is calling us to be. So I would do those two things. I would visit the original six and any new people that came constantly and build a good relationship with them. And then we would regularly, at least a couple times a year, have Sundays that were just about vision Sundays. And then I'd let vision kind of leak out all the time, all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. So it really is about keeping the vision in front of people and, um, and, and relationally uh, making sure those relationships are strong. I had other people that would come to, I can remember, you know, I remember God bless him. Bill passed away a number of years ago. Bill showed up on Sunday. I knew Bill because I was from the area. He went to another church here. And when he walked in, I thought, oh, no, 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 you don't, you don't need to come here. Because he was just kind of grumpy and tradition, very, very, very traditional. And I thought, you're not going to like this. Anyway, it was Palm Sunday. And so Bill came in at the back. His wife didn't even come that day. And she's more traditional than Bill. He sat at the back. And it was Palm Sunday. And we, we had palm branches. And I was leading the kids all around the gym. And we we're waving our palm branches. I went by Bill. I'm waving like crazy, hoping that he'll, you know, he won't come back because I didn't think this was a place for him. Anyway, that was the service. I wasn't home more than half an hour. And I got an email from Bill. Love the service, Kevin. Love the service. Oh, I thought that was amazing. I wrote him back and said, Bill, we need to have coffee. So we had coffee. And, and basically, I said to him, uh, I, I think you caught up, Bill, in, in some of the excitement and the enthusiasm and the newness of what God might be doing here. I do not think, though, that this really is the church for you. And I think it's less of a church for your wife. I know you guys. Like, I love you. We're friends. But you're, you're pretty traditional in the type of church that you really like. And I think maybe you're seeing some energy here, but it's not really who you are. And so think about that. That's what I said to him. About a month later, he wrote back to me and he said, I really appreciated your honest conversation you had with me. And we found another church that we think will probably be a better fit for us. So, you know, it's also about just being honest with people, helping, helping those that are there get buy-in, but also sending others away <laughs> that, yes. really, that really won't fit. And so I think honest conversations are really a helpful part of that. So did your role change as the church changed, like grew? Like you said, you visited your original six quite a bit. And I mean, as, as the church grows, you got to visit more, or you got, you know, more responsibility. There's that yeah. danger that you almost feel like you become a, a CEO rather than a pastor trying to operate all these other things. Like how did your kind of role change and how did you protect yourself from just yeah, becoming great, a, an administrator? That's a great question. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I could never just become an administrator. I'm too relational. Like I just, I love that part too much. So that would kill me. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say my role probably changed 
somewhat dramatically, probably four times over 20 years, you know, that I became some, I, I had to take on a new type of, you know, when we were uh, 50 people, uh, you pastor differently than when you're 150 people. You mm-hmm. pastor differently than when you're 250 people. You pastor differently when you're 500 people. And so that had to morph and change. I would say, um, um, you know, visitation and connect me. I don't want to call it visitation. Visitation slash connecting with people um, was always a critical piece for me. Uh, both personally and then developing systems so that it happened as well. So uh, it, 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 you know, it wasn't Kevin killing himself doing 30 visits a week, trying to, you know, get through everybody. We would then, as the church grew to 152, 54, 55, 50, mm-hmm. we developed systems. So, you know, and then I'm responsible to, to not only do it, but to help lead some of those teams that are, that are doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the, in the initial probably decade i did probably 90 percent of the preaching um in the in the second decade we began to move towards more of a team teaching model where we would have different voices and i was probably preaching 60 percent would have other people preaching 40 percent. so the preaching changed um mm-hmm. you know the the, the the vision stuff i was probably still the the lead sort of vision voice or vision developer but it became much more collaborative with our elders and we would do that more together and and develop vision together and get buy-in together. So it's, 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 and that's always the challenge for every leader. As something begins to grow, can you take the leadership step and make the necessary changes as a leader to be able to lead something now that it's 150 and not 50? And, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and that's a huge challenge because, uh, um, because some, you know, some, some leaders are just wired for 50 people. Mm-hmm. And they probably they probably should be very content and happy that God has wired them for 50 people and not put the pressure on themselves to think that they have to be wired for 350 people. Mm-hmm. And then there's others that probably start with 50, but they're wired for 5,000, right? And, and, and God will bless that as well. And it's, it's really about being who God has wired you and called you and equipped you to be. So. Amen. And I- yeah. I probably misspoke there. I mean, there's there's nothing against administrative type uh, pastors or leaders. Uh, we all have different giftings. I was just trying, yeah, talking about how you explained your early ministry and the the tendency as as you know things change and things grow. How do you change and grow with it? So uh, and, and anyone I, who's yeah. listening to this, no knock to the administrative pastors. I'm probably one of them. So and no knock to the administrative pastors. I would say, but I would also say administrative pastors. And I had to become more of one, but but administrative pastors also can't solely default to their administration and 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 isolate themselves away from people, yes. because you know our personality. If we're an administrator, you know, and an organizer, and that's what fires us up, we can spend forty hours a week in our office dreaming up stuff and writing out stuff and new plans and organizing things. But but we also have to remember that we're the people of God, we're the family of God, and that demands relationship as well. And, and we can't only administrate our people to connect and administrate our people to care for each other. We have to model that too. So, um, so you know, it's always finding that balance, I think, for all of us. I probably have to work a little harder at the administrative side, and you or others might have to work harder at the relationship and getting out of, getting out of your office and caring for people in visitation side. Mm-hmm. Because both are both are essential. Both are essential. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'm appreciating this. This is good. Um, I've, I've got a question here, but I've, I've have it sitting, and I actually put the word "sensitive" by it. So, if we don't want to talk about it, that's okay. But I've heard it said many times in in life and in church that if you want to see where your where your heart is, you just look at where your money is. So, I had like when you talk about the growing of the church, did your budget change? Like, where was your efforts uh, in? the stewardship of your time, your talents, your gifts and everything. Was it very uh, centered around children's ministry? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say, I mean, that's not, it's interesting you say sensitive. Um, you know, it, it, it is sensitive. People would, you know, uh, you know, they say that two things people are really nervous to talk about is they don't want to talk about their sex lives and they don't want to talk about their money. And they're probably more apt to talk about their sex lives than they are their money. Um, for me, that's not the case. Money's not sensitive for me at all. 
In fact, I think we need to desensitize it. And we need to, we need to learn how to have really just honest, normal conversations about money. Because Amen. it's not ours. Amen. It's not our money. So why do we get uptight about it? And so, so that's, we, 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 we probably did, you know, uh, we probably did a couple of things. I mean, as it related to stewardship and giving, um, we certainly tried to shape our budget towards the vision. So um, we would have been extremely heavily weighted towards children and youth and all that stuff. Um, because that's God, we believe that's who God was calling us to be. Um, there are those people that will give, people give for different reasons. Some people give because they're a deeply committed follower of Jesus and they recognize that the money's not theirs. God calls them to be a steward. They're going to give 10% or 20% or 30% or as much as they possibly can because, you know, they're just, God has just given to them on loan and, uh, and, and they're, just, they're just a steward of what is not theirs. And so some, a lot of those, we love those people. I mean, I love those people. They, they, they give generously and they give out of a sense of obedience to honoring God with their resources. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, so those people don't need any type of uh, argument to give or convincing. They just do it. There's other people that give division. And they may not even be followers of Jesus. We had lots of that. We had people that just started to come and they weren't even followers of Jesus, but they gave generously. Why? Because they said, this thing is awesome for our family and it's awesome for this community and we want to support this. They had no idea or understanding about 5% or 10% or any of that. They didn't, they didn't know any of that when they came. They just said, we want to give because we, we love what's happening here. We have one guy, I have one guy from Ontario. He, he uh, had started sports stores in Ontario, had a number of uh, a number of sports stores that he owned. He was in the process of retiring and passing it on to his son to lead. He was from the Apahawk area as a boy. He'd seen an article in the paper because he would still get the Kings County record, even though he was in Ontario. He, he got an article that they did about us starting building a children's center for kids in the community. He, he emailed me and said, are you going to be around next week? I said, yep. He said, uh, I'm driving from Ontario uh, and I'm going to bring you some sports gear. So he, he left London, Kingston. I forget where it was. He left there on a morning. He showed up about 11 o'clock at night. I got a call at home. He was on his cell phone. He showed up down at our church. He had this huge truck with probably five to $10,000 worth of sports gear. And he, wow. he, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He said, I don't even go to church. But he said, I love this community. And I read the article and I love what you're doing. And he said, I care about kids. And I want to give you thousands of dollars worth of sports gear because, because I, I love what you're committed to. So there's people that give because of stewardship. They understand they love Jesus. And then there's people that just say, I love what you're up to. And I, and I want to support that. And so, and so we had, we had a lot of both. We, we did, um, you know, we, like I say, we, we shaped our, we shaped our budget to reflect, um, we shaped our budget to reflect uh, our priorities. And so, um, so people, you know, so that, so that we were, we were, we, you know, again, it's, it's, it's putting money where your mouth is. It's value. It's, it's in fact mm-hmm. valuing what you say you value. Um, so, so we, we certainly did that. And then we would share vision, you know, every year uh, with people about, you know, who God was calling us to be um, and would have stewardship type Sundays where we would talk about stewardship and giving. Um, and, and we really tried to demystify the whole, I mean, I would say to people, you know, we'd have a vision Sunday, then we'd have a couple of giving Sundays or stewardship Sundays, whatever you want to call them. And, and we just made the conversation about money be just very natural, just very natural, you know. And, uh, you know, if you're a Christian here, you probably believe that what you, everything you have is God's. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus here, you may not quite buy, buy that yet. But, but we believe that, that everything we have is not ours, that God owns, you know, as the psalmist said, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the wealth in every mine. All of it's his. And he calls us to, you know, he's basically saying you can use, you know, you can have 90 percent. And, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to, you know, bless me by returning a portion of what I've given to you. Uh, and, and so we started talking about money and making it a very natural part of our conversation. And, 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 um, and by doing that, we sort of demystified it, I think, and people started to give 
more and more and more generously. More started to give out of a sense of responsibility and stewardship, and others continued to give out of a, out of a, a love for the for the vision as well. So, mm -hmm. so it really wasn't a money wasn't a sensitive topic for me, and we really tried to talk about it enough so that we we uh, we made it a tried to make it not a sensitive um, topic for most people. So, yeah. But speak especially with stewardship with the church, there has to be a unified vision i mean i've heard conversations about we only have one dollar and it can only go to so many things and you know within church budgets sometimes it feels like i'm gonna the language is wrong but certain departments or ministries are competing for that one dollar but if you're on a unified vision of this is what we as a, a church family are, are goal oriented towards this this is the vision i think then the budget can more easily follow that so we so yeah and that that Exactly right. And, and we even saw that shift a little bit. So I would say in the first five years, we were almost solely about children and kids. We were the, you know, we were the church for children. We were the church for kids. That was the, the only vision we have had. Um, after the first five years, we started to develop our vision a little bit more. So then we were not all, we, we really had a sense that God was calling us not only to be the church for kids, but also to, to, to become the, um, like a real serving machine in the community. And, 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 and so we were only, we not only wanted to be, if you have children, think Apohawk Church. <laughs> if you have children, think us. It was also, uh, then we moved towards, if you have a need, think Apohawk Church. If you have a need, we may not be able to help that need. We may not be able to finance that need. We may not be able, but we want you at least to think about us and come to us and ask us. And if we in any way can, we'll help you. And so we moved from just being the church to kids from being the church for kids to having a, a huge value and priority on getting into the community and serving. We would do, you know, extreme makeover projects and extreme living weeks where we would serve the Red Cross and we would serve the, the sharing club here and do big renovations for them. And we would, we would do extreme living weeks where we would gather 50 or 60 projects all around the neighborhoods and community and we would go out and serve people. And so, and, and so at that point, our budget also shifted from not only being heavily weighted towards children, but also heavily weighted towards how can we make sure we budget to serve people? You know, not only, uh, you know, maybe it's benevolent needs, but it's also, you know, budget lines for, for uh, you know, extreme living projects and how do we do renovations? And so we sort of took on a second value and then we started budgeting, but it was always about, it was always about developing your budget towards accomplishing the vision that God had given to us as a congregation. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Awesome. All right, so kind of just the last question, one that I've, I've asked a few other uh, pastors myself, what would a typical week have looked like for you uh, in, in Lower Abahaki, like? You talk about uh, obviously preparing Sunday messages and everything, but you're visiting people like what would a typical Monday to Sunday? We all know that everybody out there thinks we just work Sunday. So, yeah, that's exactly. Well, uh, yeah, so it's pretty relaxing, really. We just get that one day to do it. You can sleep in late and go to bed early. Um, you know, I was honestly. I, I, I was pretty traditional in my schedule um for me mornings i typically took typically take friday off so it was sort of a sunday to thursday week for me um you know saturday and you know friday and saturday i'd be going over my message a few times during those days but but for the most part i would take those days off or there might be an elders retreat on a saturday or whatever but you know on on most weeks it would be a sunday to thursday week and I'm pretty traditional. My Monday to Thursday in the mornings would in large part be in the office. And in large part, I would, you know, be there on my own. <laughs> it would be, uh, it would be study. It would be writing. It'd be preparation. Um, on a week that I didn't have to preach, it would be uh, vision writing, vision development. You know, so my mornings in large part were spent in the office doing writing and dreaming and, and you know, and vision burping and all that stuff. Uh, in the office, uh, you know, we, as we grew a little bit, there'd be a, probably a staff meeting on a certain morning as well. So that would be my mornings. My afternoons were really more about, um, about people, you know, so it would be either going out to visit or responding to people that wanted to meet with me or counseling a couple or someone else. Um, so my afternoons were really shaped more around 
uh, connecting with people, connecting with leaders uh, or whatever. And then, um, you know, evenings are often busy for pastors too. So that would be meetings or training or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would say this, and maybe this is a, maybe this is a nugget. Maybe it's not. I broke my week up into uh, 21 slots. That's what I did. So you have a morning, afternoon, and evening times seven. So that's 21 slots. Um, And I tried to, because pastors can get into a terrible habit of morning, afternoon, evening, and it goes on and on and on and on and on, and you never give it a day off or get a break. So I I broke my, my week up into 21 slots. And I would try to not go more than eight slots at a time before I took a slot off. <laughs> that was my, that was the way that I did it. So, you know, I'd go Monday, you know, three slots and a Tuesday, three slots. And then I'm getting tired out because I've gone Monday, you know, I've gone those days, morning, afternoon, evening. And then if I went the next day, I'd go morning, afternoon, I'd make sure that I had that evening off. Or, or if I had, if I knew I had four evenings, I had to be out for whatever reason, I'd find an afternoon where I could take a slot and go for do whatever do whatever Mm -hmm. that that sort of you know fills my bucket whatever fills my bucket but i sort of would try to never go more than eight time slots at a time before i took a time slot off and so i broke my week up into 21 time slots and uh but but my my schedule tip you know my schedule was pretty traditional morning study and writing afternoons people evening meetings and so that's kind of the way that i structured my week well, that 21, the 21 slot thing is genius because I just, I know myself included, there's many pastors out there where there's almost either that sensation that you feel guilty when you're not doing something or you feel like there's so many things you got to do that you unconsciously overwork yourself. So it's, it's right. and that's the kind of the reason why I asked that question with a lot of pastors is, you know, how do you find that good time management? And I, I just, I find, I'm sure lots of people are that way. Maybe I just hang out with too many pastors, but a lot of pastors, and, you know, and you know, seems like that's and, a struggle. Part, it's a struggle. And part of the reality is this, and maybe here's a nugget. I don't know. But, but part of the struggle is people don't understand our world for the most part. People don't understand it. Like you started off by saying, you know, we work Sundays. What's your problem? And, and, and a lot of people will say, man, I know he's busy on Sunday, but I don't really, and I know that he counsels them and, and he's probably got to spend 90 minutes pulling a sermon together. And, and he might have a meeting or two, but I don't really know what he does. Or I don't know what she does. And, and so, and that's not their fault. They just, they've never lived it. They don't know. <laughs> but I would say this, because of that, uh, it's probably wise if you're going to grab a Wednesday afternoon and take it off because you've just done Monday morning, afternoon, night, Tuesday morning, afternoon, night. Like you've done these seven or eight or nine or 10 slots in a row. And if you're going to go home, park your car behind the house or put your car in the garage. Because somebody's going to drive by and think, look at that. That's what I thought about the pastor. He just takes Wednesday afternoon off. He's not even working. And, 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 and maybe they're a critical person. Or maybe they just really don't understand how my life is. Or that I was out till midnight last night counseling a marriage because it was blown up. And they don't get that. So, so to, help, to help ease it for you. And to help not put some people into a space where they don't need to be because they're they're certain they're kind of judging, but they don't they shouldn't be judging because they don't really understand your world. Park your car in the garage, or, or 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 go to the park and park it at the back of the park and have a nap in your car, whatever. But 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 don't but 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 find a way to kind of get away mm-hmm. so that so that you can create some necessary space to sort of you know rejuvenate and recover. You know, yeah. Amen. Well, that's good. I actually do that sometimes in a different mind, different way. But if I'm running behind or I've really got to finish the message and I've appreciated visiting with people, I'll actually park my car behind the church. So that's not as well seen on the road, just so that people are like, oh, pastor's not in right now. But it gives me a chance to come to my office and have whatever time it is I need, whether it's personal development or, you know, putting the the finishing touches on the message. So that's absolutely smart, smart suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, no, time management is an important thing for, for oh, all great. of us, but uh, one great. that I think we sometimes lose sight of. Well, I mean, we've had lots of conversations about your experiences in, uh, in Abahawk and all that, but anything you want to kind of share as we conclude this, what's going on now with uh, the position you're in as, as the, 
I think it's it's a fancy term, executive minister of yeah, new yeah, congregations, yeah. something. New con- I just say new congregation guy. That's what it is, new congregation guy. Um, yeah, so how do we wrap up? I mean, COVID has been a heck of a chapter. Um, so I would say to people, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it hasn't been. It's been a very... Ex- exhausting chapter for leaders and for pastors and for everyone and a lot of really excruciatingly painful stories have happened during the past 18 months and a lot of people have experienced a lot of pain so don't hear what i'm not saying but there is i think an opportunity an opportunity for the church to in some ways see this covid chapter as a bit of a gift to us (laughs) because it has forced us to reimagine what the church can be <laughs> and, and, and who God is calling us to be. It, COVID has, 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 has given us, uh, in our churches, it's given us permission and freedom and an and opportunity to experiment in ways that we never could have 19 months ago. It, it, COVID has, has allowed pastors to lead and do things that their churches would have voted against. 24 months ago. And, 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 and so in some ways, you know, the culture has accelerated and, and for years now, the church has been saying, we need to change. We need to change. We need to change. We need to change, but we haven't. And then COVID showed up and we did, we had to, we had no choice. Everybody went online, right? We became the church online. Now, are we going to be there forever? No. Should we be? No. But did we learn some things? And did we, did we actually go online to the place where most of the world is hanging out every day and begin to understand, wow, there's opportunity here. Yes. And so I think what's happened, Andrew, is um, this chapter has created an opportunity for an awful lot of leaders to begin to reimagine who is God calling us to be in this day. You know, what, what I, here's what I've been saying. And here's what, here's what I'll leave you with, because we could talk a long time about this. Um, I think if I went back into your chair today and sat as a lead pastor in your chair or back to the chair that I left, um, I would be focusing on three critical things in this day. And I put 100% into all three. The first would be our weekend gatherings, our Sunday service, right? Um, I think Sunday still is critical. I think gathering in that way still is critical. I think it might be Saturday evening, Sunday, Sunday afternoon, whatever, but bringing the body together corporately in that way is still an important piece. I don't know how long it will be that way. Maybe that's going to change in 20 years, 30 years. But right now, I still believe that the weekend experience is still an essential piece. It would be dishonoring to too many people just to say, we're not doing that anymore. Now, I do think we have, a, there's a lot of significant changes that need to happen. We need to tweak it in a lot of ways. We don't have time to talk about that now. But, but I think we need to, to reimagine what Sunday looks like in a lot of different ways. It needs to become more conversational. Sermons probably need to get more, need to get shorter. There needs to be opportunity for dialogue. We need to change up the environment and how it looks. There's all kinds of things that need to change. But Sunday, the weekend still needs to be a critical piece of what we do. Number two, online has to be a piece of what we do. I don't know what it's going to look like. For some, it's going to be a full-blown online campus. For some, it's just going to be figuring out, given the resources we have and the context that we're in, what is our engagement strategy online? And it's going to look very different. But we can't avoid online. Everybody's on it. Everybody's out there. And the people we're trying to reach are online. So uh, the second priority would be for our church in our context, given the resources we have, what is online going to look like uh, for us with a deep sense of excellence? And the third piece that I would throw 100% into is what does it look like to begin to multiply some micro congregations? So, you know, we've got a lot of people now that, 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 that have got out of the habit of going to church for almost 20 months. Um, some of those people will come back. Some of those people will not come back. And, 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 and the younger generations as well are not looking for the traditional type of Sunday morning experience. We know that because they're not showing up in church. But a lot of them would be quite open to, to another type of environment that is more conversationally based, that is uh, more informal, that is more relationship centered. Maybe it's a cafe church, or maybe it's a house church, 
or maybe it's a dinner church, or maybe it's so you 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 put whatever words you in. I think you want to. I think that that we need to begin to experiment with what would it look like to begin to have an existing congregation that is tethered to a number of micro congregations that have as their mission reaching people that will never walk through the door of our Sunday morning church building. How do we do that? So I'd say weekend gathering is still essential. Online is going to be that much more essential. And we've been dabbling in that for 18 months now. And then how do we begin to multiply some new types of expressions or new types of congregations that may begin to reach into a demographic or a group um, that we haven't reached into yet, or may in fact, you know, we got some people that have spent 18 months in a house church or in a small group or in a whatever. And, and in fact, they say, I kind of like this. How do we begin to, to, to begin to, to, to structure that and build that, that much more moving forward as a, as a bit of a new structure. If people, I, I would just say, if people want to check out some of that stuff, if they go to uh, reshape, reshapeatlantic.ca, that's my new congregation website. So if you go to reshapeatlantic.ca, there's a bunch of resources there um, uh, all about that type of thing. We're, we're doing some micro church pilot projects within our family. Um, there's some resources there. I'm doing sort of a, a thing now I call Reshape 333. And it's, a, it's leadership conversations in under 333 seconds. So it's designed, in fact, for a pastor. It's designed for a pastor that says, at the beginning of our leadership meeting, I want to show this Reshape 333. It's only 333 seconds. And then there's three or four questions at the end of it on video. And you're, we're going to talk about this. And so we can talk about microchurch. We can talk about all these different types of topics. And so you can go to Reshape 333. It's on YouTube and there's resources there. So if you go to reshapeatlantic.ca, there's a pile of stuff there that might be helpful for some of the folks that are watching this or listening to this. So. Well, I appreciate that. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that and, and having this time with me. I know you're a busy guy, but uh, I, I've benefited from it. And I hope many, many others do it just in being able to chat. Well, when you get me started, you can tell, obviously, I don't shut up very quickly. So anyway, I, you, you, you ask good questions because you got me all fired up all along the way. So I've really enjoyed the opportunity to just to chat with you and, and, uh, and think through some of these things, even at a more, little more deeper level. So it's been very cool. cool. I really enjoyed it. Well, that's good. And like I said, I appreciate it. I've, I've, I've heard from you and, and heard the story of, of Lower Habahaki a few times. And I'm just always like, man, I got three or four questions. I would just love to sit down. And then as we chat, of course, more comes out. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but awesome. I'm thankful. And I'm going to awesome. check out, uh, uh, you said reshape Atlantic. Reshape Atlantic.ca. Yep. All right. Yeah. It's the, it's the new congregation website for our denomination. So yeah, well, lots of cool. stuff there. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for right. chatting and uh, right. I, I appreciate it. And, and, Continue to, to pray for you in, in whatever way the Lord leads you as, as you uh, help others. Well, thank you for joining with me and Kevin. I do pray that this time has been beneficial to each and every one of you and that you have taken something from this video, from this time together, that you can run forward with. God bless. Take care.